Revolution I can't get no call to action But I try and I try and I try Hello and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, business and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards. Today I've caught Alex Horn, Comedian, lead singer, author, silly sod, and the Ryan Reynolds of Chesham United, Alex is arguably best known for creating and co-hosting the BAFTA-winning cult TV show Taskmaster. Alongside Greg Davies, the only man in comedy big enough to call him little, he sets out to test the wiles, wit and wisdom of comedians through a series of tasks teeming with tomfoolery. He is also the creator and frontman of six-piece band The Horn Section, a keen bird watcher, and was once a genuine contestant on Countdown, winning a hat-trick of episodes. Alex says, Taskmaster has been years of total enjoyment. Anything with The Horn Section is mucking about with friends, even going on those weekend cookery programmes is brilliant. If you're not having fun making TV, you're doing something wrong. Welcome to the show, Alex. Thanks, Charles. I really, really enjoyed that introduction, and I feel a bit like I'm on Desert Island Discs now, so thank you. <laughs> good. good, good, good. I love Desert Island Discs. Should I point out any factual inaccuracies now? Yeah, go on, do it. let's do it. I think there were two. My dad is a keen bird watcher. I'm a keen bird watcher watcher. I like I like watching the bird watchers, less interested in the birds. Part of my job as Taskmaster's assistant is to teach everyone that it's Greg Davis, not Greg Davies. Yes. Very important. I think everything else, oh, I can't sing. Apart from that, everything else is fine. I don't think I claimed you could sing. Well, you call me a lead singer and the people in the band will instantly turn <laughs> off. They call me the lead speaker. <laughs> Do you have a weak lemon drink when you watch the bird watchers? I have a strong drink when I watch the bird watchers. I've spent hours in hides watching them, but they're, they're fascinating people. Nice, nice, nice. Right, seven quick fire questions, Alex. Vowel or consonant? I would always go with a vowel. Barney Rubble or Boo Boo Bear? Middle son's called Barney, so I'll go with Barney Rubble, please. Nice. Anfield or The Meadow? Oh, wow. Is it forever? Or is it just my instinct? Instinct. Currently, the meadow. Nice. Uh, number four, countdown or cats does countdown? Great questions, Giles. I'm going countdown. Nice. Uh, Favourite season, spring or February? It's February. Right, two more. No more jockeys or we need answers? Oh, um, well, if, if possible, I'll go we need answers. Easy. Lastly, Chicken City or Egg United? <laughs> None of these questions will mean anything other than to, to me but um i can't remember which, t- which team i played in I'll go, I'll go i'll go chicken i thought that might happen i'll go chicken city not a clue or chicken city one so great good shout oh listen alex thank you so much for, for, for joining us pleasure we always start the show by asking guests about their sometimes linear more often not so linear route to where they are now in their career so can we start the show by asking what was your first ever job and then what was your first proper job in in comedy or tv yes of course my first ever job was 
uh, waiting for my GCSE results down in Sussex, where I grew up, on a farm. Uh, me and my brothers, my brothers and I, we all worked on a potato sorting section of the farm where we stood either side of a conveyor belt. Uh, a man in a tractor lifted up the whole field, put the field on the conveyor belt. Things rolled past us. Mainly potatoes, but if we saw a mouldy potato or a toad, we had to pick up the mouldy potato or toad and put it down a chute. So only the only the potatoes would go into the um, sieve, and be, and the correct size potatoes would fall into sacks. That was my first job. Did a summer of that. Nice. Did you enjoy it? I really enjoyed. it. I think it taught me a lot. There's a lot of waiting. You know, just standing, thinking, and occasionally touching toads. And that in lunch breaks, the whole farm would come and play cricket in the sort of courtyard area so it was sort of idyllic sort of dirty all sorts of people work there and taught you about being patient and the pay was awful so but enough to give you pocket money yeah so yeah i think so i've got three boys myself now and trying to work out when they should start working but i think that's not a bad year after after gcse's yeah you make it sound like there's a lot of toads on potato farms you'd be surprised it was at least one an hour and it was always a moment it kept you going and it wasn't the same tide. That's a very good question. <laughs> no, and I also don't know where they went when when I put them down the chute. I never asked. It was a sort of Charlie in the Chocolate Factory situation. They went, and uh, I I hope they went to a better place. No, and then um, you know, doing bunny years. What was your first proper job? Well, I guess there's two. Well, I worked as a journalist for the West Sussex Gazette, um, interviewing people. A very, very, very lowly journalist. Yeah, interviewing people about wedding anniversaries and reviewing. I reviewed one strip show at the uh, Chichester Festival Theatre, an all-male strip show I had to review. And then I got a job in telly as a runner on Big Brother, and not even a runner, a logger on Big Brother Series 3, which is where you have to watch what happens. I'm very good at typing, and you have to type up all the action. And you do two hours on, one hour off, and they give you a Barocca at the start of every shift so you don't die. And uh, that taught me a lot. Uh, both of those jobs taught me a lot. I don't know what, but but I'm sure they did. (laughs) And did you, at that stage, the reason we asked this question, Alex, is because I find there are so many people who are trying to start a career in whatever industry they're looking to break into. And I think a lot of the anxiety that's kind of wrapped around that situation is is, is just that context of believing there's a right way into whatever profession it is that you, you know, want to want to pursue. So did you have any intent to pursue a particular career? Was it comedy? Because your background is, I think it's fair to say you had a very privileged background. You went to a great school. You progressed to Cambridge University. Instinctively, I would assume that there was a quite a serious academic within you. Well, I, yeah, it's something I used to be really embarrassed about, both boarding school and Cambridge. But I didn't have an awful lot of choice, I suppose. But, uh, but also, I don't think I would encourage... So my kids don't do either of them and normal school in the town where I live. But that's partly because they've got good schools around me. Anyway, but I still definitely got a slight chip on my shoulder about the privilege. But there's no denying it. And uh, I guess I was quite good at, you know, school. I, my degree was in classics from Cambridge. So you can't get much more sort of elite, I suppose. Elite in a horrible way. But I never wanted to go down that route. My, my granny was an academic as well. My granddad was a geologist who studied the rocks from the moon. So they're all, you know, that's sort of in our family, I suppose. But I know I, I I was thinking writing, journalism, or comedy. Comedy very much a hobby. You know, never thought of a career path, but was always keen to give it a crack. I suppose. And how how did you first give it a crack? Well, so I did go to Cambridge, and um, 
there is a thing there called Footlights, which everyone's heard of and no one understands, I think. Yeah. Um, all it really is is a comedy club where you go, you audition, you have to, in front of, sort of five people, it's pretty ter- one of the most terrifying gigs I've done. You have to do a minute of comedy in front of these five people, just standing up, talking, and if they think you're good enough, then you'll go and do an open spot in a theatre in front of 200 Cambridge students who are also fairly intimidating because they all think they're the best. Yeah. But so it's quite a good training ground. And that that's what Footlights is really. It's just a comedy club. So I did comedy there every three weeks. And not there's a tour show which creates the actors that you know, the sort of Stephen Fry's. And and nowadays, most of the people from in between is every year, amazingly, people come out of it. But you can just do stand up and loads of great stand ups come out of it. So my generation was people like Mark Watson, Richard Iwadi was just ahead of us, John Oliver, Mel and Sue were about three years above them so it is amazing every year there's a new generation of comics but i think that's because some comedians are sort of the academically gifted type and absolutely not all and you definitely don't need to be but if you are then you're more likely to apply to cambridge than anywhere else because you know this tradition of footlights and you think well i want to i want to follow those people i suppose that makes sense so so i don't know it might be not quite normative determinism but just it's self-fulfilling prophecy or something. That's a lot of waffles. Sorry, Giles. No, not at all. How, how is Footlights perceived within the university itself? Because I know it's obviously accessible within the university. And if you go to Cambridge, it's something that presumably is is, is easy to have access to. Yeah. Apart from how intimidating it must be to have that conveyor belt of, of past talents and the collective egos of having to perform in front of your own kind of students. Yeah. Is it perceived to be as significant as it is from the outside looking in when you're actually within it? No, no, you're just another group of losers in a in a society. You know how if you're not in that tribe, no one pays any attention to it. Really, losers is definitely over over um, egging it. But yeah, so you'd have the the rugby players or the football players or the drinkers, whatever. So that you have your people, and hopefully you do lots of those different things and. For me, university was just about making friends and trying things out. But no, no one thought Footlights was special in any way. And I should say, though, you don't have to be at Cambridge University to do Footlights. So people from the town can audition to be in anything or just to turn up and do a comedy night. And my good friend, Tim Key, who is a longtime colleague, but longer time friend, he also didn't go to Cambridge, but did Footlights. Ah, So it is actually surprisingly welcoming to all sorts. And I think that's really important, but definitely no one knows that and there's still a preconception that it's full of toffs in boaters punting up the river but it really is it's not a huge window on the world but you have all sorts doing it i wondered about taskmaster where you you really don't want the young sporty comic to run away with it each season is there anything around the 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 way you formatted the show and the way you award and reward those completing tasks that is a nod to your time at Cambridge or is that a stretch oh maybe I mean who knows what's going on under the under the surface um I do definitely try to make sure there's enough tasks to reward any type of person so if you've got a young buck or an older less fit but more experienced comedian they've both got an equal crack at winning the thing um I don't know. I don't. I think it probably is a stretch, Charles. I, I reckon. <laughs> I thought it was. Yeah, I think that's just because you want a nice mix of stuff on the telly. Yeah, but let's you know, let's give me more credit than I deserve. I'm always <laughs> up for that. So, how was the format of Taskmaster born? Because that was uh, 
the origins can be traced back to Edinburgh. But yeah. if you looked further back, is there anything else that led to that? Well, I suppose so. I mean, yeah, I have thought about this. And as kids, we played games all the time, you know, and we didn't have screens. And we're all, as parents, worried about how much time our kids spend on screens. Um, we did play on the Amiga occasionally, but we did make up a lot of games in the back of the car, number number played games, pub sign games. My older brother was amazing at turning anything into a cricket game. And we invented rules all the time. And, and any little game, you know, it quite often was just throwing a stone into a hole turned into an epic sporting event and that's sort of what Taskmaster is based on turning a tiny moment into something grander taking it really seriously and then you've got this six foot eight man in a suit on a throne judging you so it's really sort of turning nonsense into something much more yeah I suppose so yeah and, and my parents were good at playing games with us at Christmas would always play consequences or I, uh, my, we had this game at Christmas every year involving a pineapple and counting the leaves. So there was a tradition of games, which I suppose has rubbed off on me. And then, yeah, I went to Edinburgh for years. We had our first kid, so I couldn't go to Edinburgh. So I decided to set up this grand game. And I emailed 20 comedians and said, do you want to take part in this thing? Every month I'm going to set you a challenge. I want you to email me with how you've got on. And at the end of the year, I presented this thing called The Taskmaster in Edinburgh showing these comedians doing these various things. They didn't know what each other had done. And it was just so obvious it was a competitive uh, world comedian. They were so desperate to be better or funnier <laughs> than each other. So it was it was kind of immediately obvious it was fun, but it was never meant to be a telly show. It was just meant to be a one-off Edinburgh thing. And then we did it again. And then someone said, oh, you should pitch that really as a telly thing. So it was, I think, an accidental stroke of luck. And I reckon that's the case of a lot of, you know, good movies or books or songs you don't often sit down to have the idea you have the idea and then you sit down i suppose yeah i think you've probably um inadvertently answered one listener question that we had in from bentos who's who asks so much of the taskmaster brand seems to have been there right from the start how much was meticulously planned and how much was the result of constraints and necessity? Oh, great question. Winter. I suppose if you add serendipity to that, it's kind of the latter, right? Yeah. Oh, I always believe in the phrase that I can't remember about something necessity being the mother of all invention. And I really like limits. You know, we have a budget for each task, which is a couple hundred quid. So we don't like having big bits of equipment. We like people at home to be able to recreate it if they wanted to. So that helps in terms of what the task looks like. But I also need to give huge credit to a man called Andy Devonshire, who's the director. He's been the director since the beginning. And we worked together on a documentary before that. And he is in charge of the look of the thing and is really scrupulous and caring. I think caring is probably a real key to the show. Uh, but also there's a lot of luck that we happened to film the first series in the Clapham Grand, which is this old Victorian theatre where they used to have elephants on stage. And it, it, that's given the look of the thing, all the gilded colors so we've just tried to recreate that every time the house we stumbled upon it and it's got a look and it's tumbled down and slightly enigmatic or peculiar so yeah all these factors just landed on our lap i suppose and in terms of the format we just haven't we got lucky again like we came up with this format of a prize round and three tasks and a studio task which we thought oh that'll work and it did so we just haven't much around with it so yeah luck uh, some skill but by andy <laughs> and the other and there's a producer called andy as well who's very uh hard working and funny 
So just um, lots of combinations of things that worked. But also, so much like in telly, someone commissioned it after 10 people turned it down. They, the key is getting a second series of anything. Yes. Which is so, so tough to get because everything improves on the second time around and it's so easy to cancel stuff. I, I think every TV show should get a second series. Just by default. Um, I really do, yeah, because you only learn on the first series. Uh, people discover it later, especially with sitcoms. When sitcoms are cancelled after one episode, one series, I, I think... It's yeah, ridiculous. yeah, yeah, they haven't really bedded in the characters or the, or the plot, I suppose. No, you spent all that money and all that effort. So, yeah, luck. I've, I've given a brief nod in, in your highly <laughs> flawed, it seems, intro that I gave to other works of yours. And, and obviously there's the books and there's the, the previous shows and... Well, there's all sorts, really, that you, that you could plug. In the quote, I said that if your quote, if you're not having fun making TV, you're doing something wrong. Did, uh, did Taskmaster and formerly the Taskmaster feel like the most fun you'd had doing anything? And so it wasn't therefore a surprise the success that you subsequently had? Good question. Also, I do need to apologise. I thought your intro was brilliant. And I'm sorry for picking holes. <laughs> um, so it is, it's one of the most fun things. But I always say... I really like having the mix in my life. So I still do the band every year. And so they're my oldest friends. We went to primary school together, some of them. And next year we're doing a little tour. So having that alongside Taskmaster is, means I'm really happy because they're both really good fun. But if you just did one, it might wear you down a little bit. But it was really fun doing it. So we did think, oh, we might be onto something. My little brother actually came to one of the records at Clapham and said, yeah, actually, this might work. And he was really surprised. <laughs> so I think... I think it was definitely infectious. I think it's infectious that the comics are having fun. But the first series we got slightly wrong. Well, definitely we did a something called Show Zero, which is like a pilot, except it's already been commissioned. So it's a sort of testing out the format. And in that, Greg took it very seriously. He's like a pantomime villain and he had a cane. And and we sort of were less fun. We were less... Whatever they did, we weren't going to be happy with them. And we realised, actually, these people have... Tried really hard, like Frank Skinner and Josh Widdicombe were saying. No, we 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 did our best on this. So why were you so mean to us? So I think, um, yeah, we learned very quickly that fun uh, was a key was a key aspect to it, and it's seeing grown ups behave like kids a bit, not just sat behind desks being smug and snarky. There's so many shows that exist where everyone is in the same situation, just sat behind a desk performing. Yeah, even in the studio, them just being in chairs with no place to hide. It's quite interesting because they're sort of exposed there, but they've got each other. They're sat very close to each other when there's no pandemic. Do you think they feel intimidated for that? Well, you did say it's a very caring um, environment. I, I think I would a bit, but uh, as in I like hiding behind things. I like having a prop or, you know, something, and you're just sat there and everyone's looking at you. But you, yeah, but it's a gang thing, really. We're all together, and the five of them are, have often become really good friends and a little. they've kind of gone through this thing together. So no, I think it's not. It, it might look exposing, especially with these two men. And I'm aware we're two quite big, white, you know, magnificent men. Yeah, okay. But it's it's horrible, really, that we're judging these people. But hopefully, everyone knows it's tongue in cheek and silly and so on. I mean, I wish Giles. I wish I was a woman, or I wish Greg was to balance it out. But other countries, they do have a female taskmaster, and it is better. It was really popular in Sweden, right? Alongside, you know, other regions. Yeah, Sweden's probably the biggest one. They have a big Saturday night program, like Britain's Got Talent or something. And yeah, their Taskmaster is a wonderful lady. And it's really nice to have, it just looks slightly less archaic than having these two emperors say, no, that was bad. How appropriate is that, though, that this is, is British? 
I can understand that not maybe travelling so well, but I think it, it fits, right? It fits, but I think if it was being commissioned now, so much has changed. So we've only been going eight or nine years, I think, and so much has changed. And we're embarrassed by our first three series. We had four men, male contestants, one female. Right. And you look back and say, what were, what were we thinking? That's insane. And, you know, it's not a case of we couldn't get away with that anymore. It's more we would never think that was a good idea anymore. So we've all moved on a lot. And I think if you were commissioning it now, you would have a better balance throughout. Not for any box ticking thing, it's just better. So for for the junior taskmaster, we've got Rose Matafeo is the taskmaster and Mike Wozniak is the assistant. And it's just, uh, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with me and Greg, especially Greg, but it's um, it's good to have a mix of society. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Things are just better for it. And actually there's, significant studies that show that businesses typically perform better when there is a diverse collection of, of, of people. And I mean, diversity in, in the truest sense. Yeah, not not easy to get there, I think, you know, and trying to balance these numbers means you are going to go through a painful bit and that's inevitable. But I think, you know, we, we feel lucky that we're, we're established now. So we have a sort of responsibility to represent the industry better and, and show female aspiring comics or more ethnically diverse young people, they've got every much a chance of ending up on telly as the white men from Cambridge. Yeah, well said. Um, there's a quote of yours, which is, I'm lucky because I go to work and just do silly things all day. Without trivialising the wonderful silliness behind Taskmaster, and let's, you know, let's be honest and, and fair with the horn section and so much of, of your success, are you surprised with how well it's been received in different territories because that sort of stuff doesn't necessarily travel because so much of that to me seems very British whether you're thinking of say Monty Python or even Rick Mayle yeah there's 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 an element or a thread of silliness that sometimes doesn't travel so why has this traveled and performed better do you think than than maybe other shows with a with a wonderful silliness yeah I don't know at all unfortunately I'm, I mean I completely agree and I, f- I always feel self-conscious in interviews where 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 i sound really serious about what is definitely a stupid waste of time <laughs> um you know it really is silly. in the horn section the horn section is six men nearing 50 years old being really silly and talking about or singing about the toilet and you know swearing lots and and i think the older you get the funnier it gets actually when like i'm, I'm hoping greg and i carry on into our 70s and the band carry on into our 80s because nothing funnier than old men or old people being silly, I think. And I guess giving it gravitas by wearing suits and still being silly is helps that, I think. And we really try to stay on the right line of being silly but not wacky. And it's really hard to pin down what that is. But we do, we do try to be quite formal about it. But in terms of how it's travelled, I don't know. I, I hope there's an appetite for silliness all around the world. And I do think, actually, people are pretty much the same everywhere. Um, and... People often say, oh, Americans don't get British humour. Um, but they really do. Not, I mean, I'm not saying there's no differences, but Taskmaster does really well over there on YouTube mainly. But in a recent episode, we I put up a QR code at the start of the show, which people had to, um, well, if they wanted to, they could pause their telly and see what I was doing. And it's just some link to a secret website. And 25% of the people who did the QR code were in North America. And they're all watching it. It's not on telly there, but it's all on YouTube. So, yeah, so they definitely do get British humour. So I, I think hopefully, let, let's hope there's just a unifying thing that humans are dumb and enjoy, and enjoy being silly and not being serious. 
Yeah, but I don't think there's anything wrong with with suggesting that silliness is really important. And actually, perhaps the older you get, the more you the more you realise that having fun and whether it's being playful in life or whether it's trying to entertain in business. I mean, so much of what we do in in Adland should be about driving fame, and it's hard to become famous if you're not entertaining or you're not kind of delivering something of value. If that doesn't sound too kind of wishy washy, no, it doesn't. Yeah, I mean, all I mean, I don't know anything about advertising, but anyone's I remember from my childhood are all this you know it's a tango advert and it? it's a, it's a overblown silly fun well, Rowan Atkinson the Barclay card ads. yeah yeah but it's really hard to make an advert not seem like an advert you know what I mean it's got to be it can't be forced it's got to be naturally funny and there's lots that get it right I mean I like the um the just eat adverts I saw one last night I think it had Christina Aguilera in but I think they get it really right this sense of Wow, this is nonsense. I love, you know, when they've got these amazing musicians being silly. Yeah. Is, is that where the line is then maybe between, you said silly and wacky and there's a line between the two. Is it is it silliness that's like really intentional but clearly there's, there's an intelligence behind it? Because I, I don't want to embarrass you so we can maybe even say this, say about Monty Python or something where there's, it's it's taken, the silliness is taken so seriously that it isn't just wacky. To me, wacky is is almost like a cheaper mm. kind of for the sake of it. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, I guess for us, it's even like in the wording of the task. We always say you've got twenty minutes. Your time starts now. We'd, ever, we'd never say you've got thirteen minutes and twelve seconds. Your time starts now. And it's stupid, but we just have this thing that formal language really helps the silliness. Yeah, and taking silly things seriously so yeah you're probably right and, you, and Monty Python's a good um, good example we watched it all the time as kids and it, it was often people in suits um, I saw one recently about a, a sketch I'd not seen before I think but where each guest on a chat show one of them could only use the start of a word one of them could only use the end of a word but they took it so seriously and that's yeah you're probably right I think you've probably nailed it Let's just conclude. I'm right. Yeah. There's, there's also there's also the escapism, which again I've, I've I've seen in our research. You talk about how perhaps the context of the world, and I think at the time you were making a point to the pandemic and COVID, and how people maybe needed that escapism even more. But you know, let's be honest. If you take a look around, what's happening in the world, it's horrific, and there is there is a wonderful escapism that you deliver through through Taskmaster that is probably needed even more than ever. Well, yeah. I mean, this is a horrible thing to say, but the pandemic was, it really helped the show because the show completely accidentally helped a lot of families who were stuck inside looking for any sort of escapism. So, you know, there was no, there was no cynicism to it, but it, people did seem to turn to it a bit, which was, you know, you hate to profit from a disaster. But it was it, it was amazing. We, that was when it hit home that actually people... I mean, need is a strong word, but they really, we had so many people got in touch and said it really got us through it. So, um, and then, so Greg and I did this thing called home tasking, which was, I think one parent got in touch and said, is there any chance we're homeschooling that you could set our kids a task? So we set a task, put it on YouTube, and then thousands of people did it. And then hundreds of thousands of people did it around the world. So we sort of felt, it took us a lot of time, actually. We set these videos up, we edited them, Greg judged them, and it kind of got us through the pandemic as well. So it was a, it was selfish for us too. And that was just a nice thing to, oh, it sounds awful, but to sort of give back and it wasn't a profiteering thing. Doesn't sound awful at all. The home tasking. And there's Taskmaster Education, right? Which is inevitably going to involve a lot more children developing yeah, so key we did life in, skills. So I've done it in my kids' schools. Once a year, I go into year six, a uh, classroom of 30 kids, 
and I do a day of task for them. And the teachers are brilliant there. It's a local primary school and they just say, right, do what you want. And they make a huge mess. And they rip things up and they get dirty and they scream, you know, they do the task, like get as far away from me as possible while screaming. And the whole school stops and it's brilliant. But the kids really get so much out of it. And again, what we were saying earlier about they can't all just be appealing to the young sporty ones. It's got to be the thinky people, the collecting people. And it's it's great in a classroom. Like a good example is a task. You give them each a ball of string. Normally the kids are in teams for school tasking. Give them each a ball of string and you have to work out how long that ball of string is. You've got five minutes, your time starts now. And often the boys will just unravel the string and chuck it around the place with no plan. <laughs> and the girls, and I hate generalizing, but the girls tend to sit and talk for three minutes before doing anything. But it's really great. And and then the quiet kid will will say, I know I'm four foot tall, so just wrap it around me and count how many times. Or they'll know the classroom is five meters or whatever. But it, that's it's really great seeing their brains work. Yeah. And the key, one of the keys is not to worry about upsetting them. When you say who's won, who's lost, they don't care. They they are so resilient. So you've got to take them seriously. You've got to say that was awful, that was great, and uh, move on to the next one. So yeah, so school school tasking's been really fun. So we do these after school clubs, and yeah, it just hopefully will make them happy at school, I suppose, and show them that you can, they can use their brains in different ways. Time, weather, and- Today's podcast is sponsored by No One. Whether you need research, brand or strategy, No One brings you absolutely nothing. With simple templates and drag and drop tools, you can have a great looking nothing in minutes. If you have a real marketing challenge you'd like to chat about though, just email giles at gasp.agency and use the offer code giles to get 10% off nothing. Brought to you by No One. I was going to ask how many tasks do you think you've come up with, but we did have a listener question from Rachel Chancellor. And she's calculated, she thinks that you've come up with about 700. She, she asks, how do Alex and his team keep the creativity coming? And do you have a standard process you follow for brainstorming and validation of your ideas? Because I know that's something that you very much sits with you, right? Uh, yeah, so that is my job, really, is coming up with the tasks. And I can't take full credit, so there's a team. So I come up with them. The team might suggest some. And then I sort of put mine out into the group and we test them out and filter them. And some don't work, some do, and some need finessing but it's a good question and i would hate to put a figure on it because that would make that would be scary and i think oh no there's only 10 left in the world <laughs> but i think they're in i'd really think they're infinite they're like songs again aware that i'm sounding self-aggrandizing but they're sort of like like jokes they're not going to run out but it's the the system is you have a deadline and then you're forced to um work so so they that is sort of the work bit but i really enjoy it so what i'll do is I know, for example, at the moment, we're doing Junior Taskmaster and I've got to come up with eight studio tasks in the next couple of weeks. And that's really not that hard for me. Uh, but I've also got to come up with a load of tasks for the next series. So I'll go on lots of walks, lots of drives, and I'll just think about it, but in a really um, loose way. So I won't think, right, we haven't done a task involving a sieve. It's more, I will literally just let my mind wander um, and see what happens, which is a really sort of frustrating answer, I think. But I do, you, you sort of lean on a lot of experience. So I, you know, I know what works, I know what doesn't. I know what we've seen and what we haven't seen. So I just sort of let my mind wander and I sort of imagine these five child contestants and I think, oh, what would be, what would be quite funny if one of them, or say if they walked into a room and all the lights were flashing. And, you know, your your brain will give you a starting point, hopefully. 
or you might get an inspiration from the radio or something you know some word some keyword like drain pipe will pop it into your head and then you just sort of let a scenario play out and you just don't try to pin it down too quickly and after half an hour or so something will solidify and i've got to write it down immediately or stop the car or do a voice note and it's just trying to sort of capture these little fleeting ideas so yeah it's really loose the process but i'm also very confident that if i go for an hour's walk i'll come back with three solid uh, answers and does it do they tend to come easier when you're when you're really up against it in terms of time deadlines because that's yeah, yeah yeah they really do and then, then you're in that zone of right come on then we've got to get this done and it also helps if i've well it doesn't help sometimes at the end of a series we've just finished one i will then be in the great zone to think of more tasks but equally sometimes you're on holiday and your brain goes right we're, we're ready to come up with some ideas for some reason so there's no real forcing it but yeah deadline deadlines are the key to most things in my life yeah and you're not averse to borrowing either you've said i took the family on a camping trip and the youth leader asked the kids to run across the field while shouting they had to run as far as they could before their breath ran out i thought we'll have that oh completely oh any any situation in life i will nick an idea <laughs> You know, even if it's like the AA coming and changing a tyre and you think, ooh, you know. So it's not necessarily, hopefully it's, like you say, borrowing rather than stealing. But also we've got this weird world where all these different countries make the show and they come up with their own tasks. So quite often we will, again, be inspired by them. We try not to copy something wholesale and it's always with permission. But we, you know, taking something as a starting point and changing it. But I also love seeing our comics do their task and seeing how differently they do it. But yeah, there is this pool, pool of ideas floating around the place have you got a favorite task that you've come up with i really really don't um because they they do blur into one but i would say my favorite type of task is one where it's just one line like i guess an early one was i think series one was get the most tears in an egg cup you've got <laughs> 20 minutes you time yourself out and you know when it's just that and then the following series was get the most sweat into an egg cup and i do like it when it's just oh right we know what's happening here this is what's going to happen because nowadays we have to have so many rules because because the contestants know what's going on and they will always move the finish line. If we don't say you can't move the finish line, <laughs> um, and we sort of done the most all the major bodily function ones that we're allowed to do. Yeah. So they get so, but occasionally something will pop into your head which is really simple, and you go, "Yes, that is going to be great, amazing." So I've got a few up my sleeve, which I'm really confident about. In the future so yeah it, the well hasn't run dry fantastic yet. i think wells don't wells don't run dry do they unless there's a disaster yeah i, I, I don't i don't claim to be a well expert but uh no um i'll take your words i'm mindful of time and i do have a few listener questions but before we move to yeah. those just for my own personal reasons and because i've been mildly obsessed with the horn section for oh, what about a decade now i'm guessing oh, great. i read i read that you're all middle children yeah Pretty much, not not. It doesn't quite work. But the, okay. The three of us, the three of us who grew up in Midhurst together. So our mums were all friends, and they became friends because of our, of our older brother. And then we were the middle ones, and then we've all got younger brothers as well. And the older brothers have tended to get quite sensible jobs because of the weight of the family on their shoulders. Yeah, we've all gone off to be creative. So I think that really there is a pattern, but it's only a pattern of three people. So I'm not necessarily saying it works for everyone. Okay. It does we're significant ish. Yeah. I, do you treat your middle child any different? No, but I can see that out of the three of them, he's the most like me. And he's the one we definitely ignore the most. Because, <laughs> you know, the older one, so much pressure. And we're trying to... I'm really aware of not putting pressure on the older one. Yeah. 
but it's inevitable and the little one you do baby a little bit so yeah i can see it happening i, I absolutely could if if any of them were going to have the unpredictable job it would be him. right amazing well i better get to listen to questions alex quickly so but, asking the general public for their opinion be it on brexit or boat names is notoriously fraught with danger uh, that's not stopped us asking so i've got quite a few i'm going to cherry pick a couple just to crowbar it back to the world that I suppose I operate in, we've had a question from Paul Bailey. If you think about your brand, what musical instrument would your brand be? Yeah, great question. Um, probably the trumpet. Um, I, so I grew up playing the French horn, which is a huge mistake because it's too difficult and I've had to stop after grade three. But I like brass. I like that it's just a thing. There's no moving parts except for the owls, but you know, it's, a, and it's got history and it's cheeky. The trumpet's fun. You know, you can have it at a cricket match yeah. and you can carry it in your, not quite your pocket, but on your person. And it's quite formal, but fun. And it can play pop music or classical trumpet is my answer. Nice. A uh, question from Claire Petzl. She says, out of seeing many comedians go through hundreds of tasks, is there a lovely human insight you've taken away as a life lesson or any specific type of activity that brings out the best or worst in people uh there's probably loads of insights that i can't pin down but it's really a warming experience of spending these time with these comics often great comics who i you know am in awe of and they sort of get humbled and also have moments of glory but i think what i would take away is that they're all team players and they get the most out of it as a group which sounds really saccharine but um that them watching themselves back as a five some is the most heartwarming bit and and they always appreciate what each other's done so yes i think there's definitely something to, comics are quite solo normally and quite proud and bit of competition and and that is eroded away even though this is a competition they're, they're all brought down and they're all brought down to the same level and yeah they're, they're, it's definitely been heartwarming in general but i can't pin my finger necessarily on why yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a great answer. Tom Hadley, uh, he's included a word I'm not too sure how to pronounce, so forgive me, but with me. Right. I'd love to know what Alex thinks about is it precarity? Wow. Precarity and how we talk about it. Because most comedians live pretty financially precarious existences, which the rest of us are now increasingly experiencing. How does anyone talk about that with authenticity, empathy, and some positive humour? Mm, the state of being precarious or uncertain, apparently. Persistent insecurity with regard to employment or income. Great word. I've not heard it before. Um, yeah, I mean, my wife and I often talk about it, that when our first son was born, we really didn't have anything. We don't want to be, you know, we I'm from a privileged background, so I'm fine. But we didn't, you know, we were on a budget. We couldn't, well, once a week we'd have a coffee from Costa because the rest of the time we couldn't afford it because we just had the first kid and we, you know, this is with the background that we were fine, we were secure. Yeah. But there was no sense of uh, pension or, um, you know, it was a worry. But I think we always had some faith. And again, this is probably because we had this nice secure background behind us and our parents were encouraging. So it's really easy for me to say, but we just had some faith that if you keep working hard and trying hard, in comedy at least, um, there is some meritocracy and you can always make your own work. We're, we're all self-employed and you can, if you work hard enough, you can get employment. 
as long as you are have some level of talent and you know with comedy if you do you know you, you can't be a comedian if you're not funny it just doesn't work so i think i would believe i think my self-belief comes from working knowing that if you work hard you will you'll get somewhere and i think that's probably it and i think i don't have enough experience but i think that's probably the true in a lot of industries but equally yeah. there's a lot of unfairness around and I love comedy because it is meritocratic. And, and even nowadays with TikTok and YouTube, which is a sort of worry to us old school comedians, but actually it means you can, you can create your own work and you can make your own YouTube channels and do things. So, yeah, I think, I, I think I'm of the belief that if you work hard, you'll be all right. Yeah, yeah, great answer. I think that accessibility is, is key as well. I, I recorded an episode recently with Tim Plester, who's um, a, a wonderful, wonderful man. He was um, probably most known for his role in Afterlife. Yeah. Um, Ricky Gervais show and he made the same point that when he first started it was it didn't really have the the accessibility wasn't quite what it is now in terms of whether it's TikTok or YouTube as in anyone can publish a video yeah with relatively kind of few means completely yeah so Manya Chihuahua is a good example of that who um he was kind of the first comic we've had on the show who hadn't gone up the ranks of the open mic circuit and then the comedy circuit or the sitcom circuit and he, he was just a self-made comedian, which is brilliant that you can do that nowadays. So, um, yes, it is a good thing. It does mean there's an awful lot of stuff out there which isn't so good. Sure. But that's the same in the satellite world as well. So, yeah. Law of averages. Is yeah. it? Um, I think we've got about five more minutes. So I'm going to move to our final four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests, Alex. Okay. Love it. They start with, number one, what advice would you give to your younger self? My advice is, would be... I think I think I'd still say don't smoke and don't do drugs. I got away with that. My dad told me not. For some reason I listened to him, and I'm so glad I didn't smoke. Uh, and I'd also say make sure you stay friends with your friends. And I shot one of my schools. I didn't really stay friends with anyone. I don't quite know why. And I sort of regret that a little bit. So I think your friends from childhood are really important. So make loads of friends and don't smoke. Don't smoke. Yeah. Okay. Nice. Good advice. Number two, if you could banish one thing from your industry, what would it be and why? I think it would be looking over your shoulder. I, d I, don't, I haven't really got a physical thing with the comedy industry, but I think if I could banish professional jealousy, that would help people's lives so much because I think we've all got this problem of even if you're doing well, you think you're not doing as well as that person or you're jealous because that person's won an award and it's all meaningless. And if you can just be happy with how you're getting on, I think that would help everyone mentally. Yeah, well said. Quite tough to banish that, but uh, if you can eke that out of people's brains, that would be good. Uh, number three, I don't know if you're, a, if you're a reader, Alex. I know you're a writer. Are there any books that you can recommend to our listeners? Yes, I've got three books that I always recommend, and I think they reflect my life pretty well. There's a book currently called Game On by Marley Bing, which is just full of games that you can do with your family. They don't need any equipment. You can do it. We'd, we'd just been around Canada for a month as a five in a camper van and played these games all the time and it was so brilliant no screens awesome. just fun and it honestly it's the best book for families or gangs of friends we just had my parents golden wedding anniversary and the 15 of us played these games all generations brilliant book game on by marley bing um there's a book called palindromes and anagrams that came out in 1973 which i read every couple of years and that reflects my brain that's why i got into countdown is by someone called Howard Bergeson. And there's also a book called The Pebble Spotter's Guide by Clive Mitchell, which is all about pebbles. 
which I think is brilliant. I think all kids should read that. So there nice. You go. Amazing. It, well, it's rare to get books that haven't come up before because I think we're episode 127-ish, but I'm pretty sure that there's three there that, that, never, that haven't come up previously. That's ace. They're pretty nerdy. Amazing. Game on, they sound fantastic. Game on sounds perfect. I'm going to buy that. Yeah, get that. Get that straight away. It's, it's quite new. I think it's only a couple of years old, but it's it's really well written and easy to understand. I hate it when a game is explained and you don't understand it, which is, again, key, key to Taskmaster, I think. It's got to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like those one-liners, he said. Yeah. One-line tasks. Fantastic. And then number four is we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow or hospital pass that honour, depending on your view, to our guest who has to give their reason why. Right. So would you dedicate this episode, Alex? Can I dedicate this episode to um, the underpaid jazz musician out there or the aspiring jazz musician? I haven't got one in mind, but I really, I don't like jazz. But I really like the idea of jazz. And uh, I used to go and watch lots of jazz at the Edinburgh Fringe because of my friends who were jazz musicians. And I've been to Ronnie Scott's lots of times. I've performed there lots of times. And it's my favorite place in the world. But it's really hard to make a living as a jazz musician. And during the pandemic, you know, everyone was affected. But live musicians' work just went. But I just think they're doing something that they really believe in. But not many, not many other people do. Yes. <laughs> and I, I, can, I can go down YouTube rabbit holes last night i watched somebody i'd not heard of called winton marsalis who i think is really famous in that world he's a trumpeter and just have a google of him you could spend hours just watching these people they're so talented and they stick to their guns you know they're much more sensible things to be doing but it's really tough uh so i yeah i would like to dedicate this episode to the unknown jazz musician amazing this episode is very proudly dedicated to the unknown underpaid and aspiring jazz musicians I, um, I must give a quick nod and a shout out to uh, Jake Saunders, friend of the show. Um, and he is heavily into his jazz and he's a very talented musician and writer. And I'll never forget a tip he gave me about making mistakes. I think it, it probably refers mostly to when you're playing an instrument, but I think it's probably yeah. also applicable elsewhere. But he said, jazz musicians are taught that if they make a mistake, just make the same mistake a couple of more times. <laughs> That's then good. It, yeah. so it becomes intentional and then it's not noticed, which I loved. Well, you know what, Charles? We embrace that. I hate to always talk about Taskmaster, but we the studio task at the end, we don't have a chance. We don't we don't do retakes for that. And sometimes it goes wrong. And we our key is just embrace the mistake. Yeah. Let's just celebrate it and find it funny. Yes. It, it, people love mistakes. I I I always find it funny when at the end of a snooker tournament on the BBC they show the blooper reel as if it's the funniest thing ever. And it's often just the referee has dropped the ball. <laughs> but people just love mistakes and, and I would always say that um, You've Been Framed is probably the funniest program out there <laughs> yeah. which is depressing as a comedian <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah mistakes are great they're a leveller yeah. of sorts yeah amazing Alex listen thank you so much for joining us it's been a real real pleasure and a privilege well thanks Giles I really enjoyed talking to you and hopefully I'll see you at the Meadow uh, for another Cheshire United experience soon we're doing that charity match again in May so uh, see you there if not before would love that i must ask before we go how can our listeners get more alex horn well i don't think they need more so i, I would find other people but yeah on taskmaster's rumbling on oh I, you know we're doing this horn section tour next year come and see the horn section we're still very culty we've realized we have got a second series of our sitcom coming out on channel four but it doesn't seem to make any difference in terms of numbers there are certain people who like us and that's enough <laughs> we are very niche but yeah do come and see us i, I promise it'll be a good night out well, we'll include links to everything we've discussed to Game On, Panindromes, 
an anagrams, the pebble spotters guide, taskmaster. The horn section is doing something over Christmas, right? So we'll, we'll yeah, we've got a one-off show at the at the O2. So yeah, yeah, come and find us. Fantastic. Finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pods. Keep your questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find Gasp online. Or email the mouthful, that is calltoaction at gasp.agency. We interrupt this podcast to announce that we will never interrupt this podcast with ads. Ads that awkwardly nudge you to contact the... (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, hey, hey.